Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And uh, we continue working our way through Romans. There's just uh, something I want to put in front of you to sort of give us uh, a context for the latter paragraph that we'll be reading. And this passage, we'll start at verse 21, read through the end of the chapter, which is verse uh, 31. Uh, But the the last paragraph, starting at 27, uh, Paul brings up this thing of, well, what... Where is boasting in all this? Boasting, you say, where does that come from? Well, here's the deal. In the book of Romans, you sort of have to um, visualize that as Paul is writing this, he's got a guy who's standing next to him, looking over his shoulder and kind of um, in dialogue with him. And everything that that Paul writes, the guy says, oh, yeah, well, what about this? Oh, yeah, what about that? And and, uh, Paul is sort of writing in, in, in response to that. There's a technical name for that. Uh, I won't give it to you, partly because I can't remember what it is. <laughs> no, it's, it's called the diatribe. But, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, but this guy who's looking over his shoulder is probably Jewish and is probably very devout and is probably a really good person and very religious. And so as Paul has been writing in the, in the book of Romans, and we've seen this in our time together, um, he's, he's trying to get through to this guy that your religion won't save you and that your good works won't save you. And just because your conscience is clear, that won't save you. Just because you're a moral person, that won't save you because everybody has this basic problem, and that is that we have substituted some created thing for the creator. In other words, we have become idolatrous. We've turned away from God, no longer giving him glory, no longer living for his glory, but now living for ourselves. And even in our religion, we're patting ourselves on the back. And so when he says, what about this boasting thing? He's sort of thinking about this guy standing next to him and saying, look, you know, I know you're proud of your religion. I know that you think you're one of the good guys. I know you think that uh, the the problem resides with everybody else of of, of different faiths than yours and of different actions than yours, but you've got to understand you're in the same boat, and so your boasting, your being proud of how good you are is actually made impossible by the grace of God because you cannot stand before God and tell him how great you are when you're actually a sinner. And so... Why is it excluded? Is it because you think the law, the law given to Israel, you think that's all about works and performance? It says, well, it tells you what to do. But more importantly, the law is about putting your trust in God and aligning your life with the character and the holiness, the righteousness of God. And that's why your, um, your boasting is not excluded by your religion. That, you know, you could boast about that. You just wouldn't succeed at it. But when you are a child of faith, when you are just trusting God for your salvation, then you stop boasting about yourself and about your own righteousness. And in point of fact, when you stop doing that and put your faith in Christ, then you're fulfilling what the law really was all about, and that is it was about coming to Jesus Christ, coming to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit all along. So when we get to these uh, verses about boasting, think of it that way. Paul's basically saying, 
you can't boast about your religion and your goodness because it's faith and not works, and therefore our boasting is excluded, and that's how we uphold God's purpose in giving us the law in the first place. Is that sufficiently clear, I hope? Um, uh, if it isn't, then uh, talk to me later after you filled out your card. All right. So let's start at Romans 3. Start at Romans 3, verse 21. We, we talked about uh, several of these verses last week. We won't cover them again this week, but uh, uh, we do start with them to sort of get a rolling start into verse 23. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, I'm so thankful that your grace is sufficient for every need. That, Father, for every person in every place and every circumstance, your grace lifts us up out of the darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light. Father, I'm thankful that we do not add to your grace. We do not restructure your grace. We do not improve your grace. But, Father, we are simply children of your grace. And that by faith in Jesus Christ, you have come to us to redeem us and reclaim us. But Father, I pray for those in this room this morning for whom the life is still a matter of struggle and it's still a matter of of weakness and tiredness and exhaustion. Father, I pray for the outpouring of an added measure of grace that you would sustain and lead and guard and guide and protect And then, Father, especially that you would open our eyes to see you at work all around us, that you would receive praise, honor, and glory for the constancy of your grace toward us. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, that you are a God of grace to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. I somewhat hesitate to share this story, so be kind as you listen. Some time ago, I was traveling down to, um, to Lexington Park, and whatever road it is now, five something, you know, it keeps changing numbers to confuse people like me, but I'm, I'm somewhere on the road, it's sort of open, four lanes across, beautiful drive, and I'm thinking, 
high and exalted thoughts, I suppose. But as I'm driving along, I notice up ahead at the intersection up there, my light's green, and I look, and there's cars. And one car turns across the intersection. I said, that guy went through a red light. And then the car behind him went through the same red light and turned in front of me. I'm not trusting these people because the third car, he too, he's rolling into the intersection and he's going to cut in front of me. They're, they're, they're cutting through. I look up and my light's red. <laughs> third car, me. All right. I'm doing that jelly knee thing. <laughs> and all I can think of, how many times have I done this and didn't know it? <laughs> I just breezed through a red light and had no idea what happened. But how many times has the grace of God kept us from disaster and we didn't even know it? How many times did God keep us from going into the wrong situation and we never knew it because we never got to the wrong situation? How many times we never knew that God kept us from being harmed and injured because we were never harmed and injured? I mean, when it comes down to it, We actually take the grace of God for granted every day. See, God's grace saves us. He he comes to us. He opens our hearts. He he reveals uh, the sacrifice of Christ to us. We accept Jesus. We're born again. You know, that, that grace instantaneously saves us, and we are saved by grace. But, folks, we survive by grace, and we live by grace, and it's grace all along the way. And I bring that up to sort of put us into context as to why we're reading our way through the book of Romans. I want to to just bring you up to date on that. Uh, We we actually started in Romans chapter 12. You may not have remembered this, but that's that's where we started because that's all I wanted. I just wanted to preach a nice sermon series about the life of the Christian believer from Romans chapter 12, what it meant to be a Romans 12 Christian. I thought that would be a nice, you know, one or two sermon series. But, but, but what happened is you're reading verse 1 in chapter 12, and I'll, I'll read it for you. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And then he goes on, present your bodies. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, on the basis of everything I've said, I appeal to you on the basis of the mercies of God. Now, there are a lot of things people appeal to to try to get you to do some. Uh, sometimes people ap- appeal to your self-interest. Sometimes they appeal to a felt need that you might have. Sometimes they uh, might even appeal to threats and fears that you might have. But Paul says when we live the Christian life, it's actually the mercy of God that motivates us. That's just another way of saying it's the grace of God. I'm appealing to you by the mercy of God that comes to us by grace. That is the foundational motivation for everything we are and all that we do as believers in Jesus Christ. And so he says, I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, therefore, that points to chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans. So I thought, well, the first sermon on Romans 12 has to be a sermon on Romans 1 through 11. And that's what we're doing. It We're doing it one part per Sunday for the... For, for a very long time. But, but, uh, but that's, that's why we are where we are. And so when we went back, we saw what is this mercy of God? What is this grace of God about? Well, it starts with our purpose. Remember in chapter 1, we, we looked at that, that our purpose is to honor and to glorify God and that God would be glorified in our lives as we love others and share the glory of God and the mercy, grace of God with others. And so we're to have that, that uh, life that is 
um, made possible, that, that is brought about by the grace of, uh, of God, for the glory of God, and then to live loving one another. But something's gone dramatically wrong. And what has gone wrong is that we have started to worship things that are created rather than the creator. In other words, we have set up idols in our lives. We create something of our own devising, something that we can control. And so we suppress the truth of God, we, we ignore the evidence of God, and we live without him. And as a result, there, this rank sin just sort of inhabits our world, it inhabits our lives. We try to get out from under that because that deserves the wrath of God. We try to get out from under that by being moral people, by being religious people, and by being legalistic people, by going to the summit of religious experience, and that is the, the expression of, of Judaism of the first century. And so uh, Paul, one by one, shows us that all those are really nice tries, but in point of fact, there is no unrighteous, no not one, and that we are all liable for the just, uh, the just judgment and condemnation for the wrath of God. That's, you, you won't understand grace unless you understand that. And then last week, uh, we turned the corner. You remember that, that uh, Jesus is mentioned once in between Romans uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 20 and uh, 320. Uh, Jesus is just mentioned once. And in the paragraph that we read this, this morning, he's mentioned five times all at once. I mean, this, this is like, like water to a man dying of thirst in, in the desert because we turn the corner and while we understand the wrath of God has been revealed against all unrighteousness, now the righteousness of God has been manifested in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're reading about now, how that righteousness of God shown to us in Jesus Christ becomes a part of our lives. And that's what we're looking at under this subject of grace. And again, the reason I want for you to hear this and to listen to this is that as the grace of God is given to us, that grace of God is to flow through us into our lives, into every aspect of our lives. That we live constantly, day by day, moment by moment, by grace. And so let's pick up that story. We'll get a running start starting at verse 21, but uh, we'll slow down when we get to verse 23. Is that okay? All right, thank you. Debbie says it's okay. <laughs> now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law of the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. You can't put people in categories. You know, there are, there are the religious people, they're okay, they're the non-religious, there's the Jew, there's the Gentile. You, you know, however you want to separate out the human race, there is no distinction. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, that, that's the beginning point to understand the grace of God, that our problem is we have fallen short of God's glory. Now look, when it says we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it, it, it's, it's not saying that, oh, well, look, um, God is so glorious and you didn't measure up. Well, of course we didn't measure up. And it's not as though that's an impossible goal that has been set there and, 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 uh, and, and, and you know, just uh, God has given us something that will guarantee our failure. No, he has set up something before us that will draw us into the fulfillment of the reason why we're here, his glory. And so we're created for the glory of God and that glory to be expressed in our lives. But we have fallen short of living out the glory of God. We have not come up, not, not just come up to that glory, we haven't lived in that glory, we haven't relied upon the glory, we haven't lived for that glory, and so we have left the glory of God out of our lives. You know, really when you think about it, th this verse is a summarization of everything we've read in Romans so far. 
Everybody is a sinner, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, in some ways, that's kind of encouraging. I mean, in a, in a bizarre kind of way, and that's the way I think. But, uh, uh, you know, in a, in, in, in a sense, it's kind of encouraging because sometimes we think, I'm the only one. This is what the devil will whisper in your ear. You know, as you struggle with sin, as you struggle with temptation, as that, that, that habit or that, that, that uh, attitude, that, that thought pattern in your life, as that keeps coming back again and again and again and again, the devil comes up and whispers in your ear and says, see, you're the worst scum that ever walked the face of the earth. You see, God can't do anything with you. Other people he can do something with because those are good people. But look at you. Look how bad you are. Here's the deal. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one outside the orbit of the power of his grace to redeem. You cannot sin more than God's grace can save you. You know, it's just that way. So in, in a sense, that kind, kind of encouraging that, yeah, I'm struggling, but so is everybody else. <laughs> you know, misery loves company. But, but more, more to the point that when I see God working in somebody else's life, it's not because they are not a sinner. It's because they are a sinner redeemed by grace. And I'm a sinner, and that grace comes to me too. So in a, sort of a perverse way, it's kind of encouraging. It's very humbling because all of us are sinners, saved by grace. You know, the next time you're dealing with that person who drives you up the wall, understand all of us drive somebody up the wall and fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> yeah. All of us are, are, are sort of irritating to somebody. All of us just look like complete idiots and airheads to somebody, you know. Uh, some of us to more people than others. I get that. But... <laughs> But the deal is that I'm not better than anybody else. I'm not any worse than they are. I'm not any better than they are. But we are all sinners. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So all have sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, it's important that you know that because if you don't understand the sin problem, you'll never get to the problem. I'm not saying everything that you're suffering in life is caused by a sin that you did. Some of it's caused by the sin that somebody else did. Uh, some of it's just the accident of life. But how you respond to that and how you, how you get through it and how you uh, relate to the uh, sovereign will of God throughout these kinds of things, that is dependent upon you. And a lot of the times re the reason we become dysfunctional in situations is because we leave God out. That's called sin. And we don't live for the glory of God. We don't seek the glory of God in a situation. We seek some other kind of, of self-serving uh, interest that's called sin and if you don't know the sin problem you'll never get to the root of all problems that we're not living for the glory of God that's that's why uh, you know this this mania in churches today for motivational speeches instead of sermons it's great to be motivated but if you don't hear about your sin you will not hear about the Savior you know it's great to be inspired but you need to be inspired to know that Christ died for my sin and so I'm, I know we're not supposed to talk about sin because it's, it's sort of off-putting. You know, nobody will come to your church. Well, maybe, who knows? But uh, here, here's the deal. We are all sinners, and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That means we all desperately, radically need the, um, the, the grace of God. So that, that's the point Paul's making. He says there's no distinction. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24 and are justified by his grace. Are justified by his grace as a gift. 
You know, Paul sort of talks about grace for a minute here, um, and, and he talks about grace under three pictures, if you will. The first word he uses here is the word justified. Um, that, that's a legal term. Uh, it's, a, it's a term that comes out of the law court. You've got to imagine that, that you've walked into court, you have been charged with your sin, and now you are standing trial before the holy, righteous God, and you don't have a leg to stand on. You are, you are just absolutely guilty. You know you're guilty, and then your lawyer stands up. I'll quote a policeman friend of mine. He said, if you ever get arrested, you don't want justice. You want a good lawyer. There's a difference. Uh, trust me on that. But our, our lawyer stands up, our advocate stands up, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he not only pleads our case, but he says to his father, he says, I will take the place of the accused. I will be guilty where he is, and he can stand innocent where I am. And the father accepts that, and he sees us now in this court of law, clothed in the innocence, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And seeing us innocent, he declares us not guilty. I'll let the theologians argue about justification and declared guilty and, and, and declared innocent and made innocent and all those other kinds of things. Here's the deal. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're clothed in his righteousness and God declares you not guilty. And then the Holy Spirit works in your life to make you not guilty. That's what we'll read about when we get to Romans 12. But in this courtroom scene, we are not guilty. That's grace. That's not anything we deserve. It's not anything we can manufacture. Uh, the, the second uh, picture that he uses comes from the marketplace. Uh, it says we are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is redemption, the idea of being redeemed. Uh, in the Greek, this is a word that was used in the marketplace uh, whenever a, a person was a slave and uh, they were uh, bought out of slavery and given their freedom. Um, that, this is the word that was used, that they were redeemed. I was trying to think of, a, um, of an illustration for that, and it's hard to think of one in modern, uh, in, in modern terms that you can relate to, but, um, but there's something called credit cards. You may not have heard about them, uh, but credit cards were designed by banks in order to enslave the American people. Um, and what they do, you, uh, trust me, this is true. It really is true. What they do is they send you this little piece of plastic, and instead of money when you buy stuff, you give somebody this piece of plastic. And electronically, they record how much money you should have given to that, that person, and the bank keeps track of how much money you owe. They're very, very polite about it. Every month, they send you a letter, and they say, you owe us this much money, and you only have to pay this much. You say, that's great. You know, this is a great deal. And so what happens is after a while, you max out the card. And when you max out the card, the bank sends you another card. And, and, you know, and they're telling you that, that you know, you don't need money. You can just, it, it, does anybody have a credit card? I don't, I don't know. I read about these things. And, you know, you know, seriously, it's like a rite of passage when, when you get your first credit card that you have to overextend on it, right? Um, you know, parents, when, when your kids get a card, make sure it's only for $200 <laughs> so, so that they will max out right away and know what it, what it means to to have too much debt. But what happens is you are in debt. You owe that much. And somebody's got to pay it. Somebody has to pay it. You say, well, why doesn't the credit card company, why don't they just forgive the debt, just overlook it, just let it go? The company pays the debt. 
or they raise their fees and everybody else pays the debt, or they go back to the, uh, manuf- the, uh, the, the, the person you bought it from, they make them pay the debt, somebody will pay that debt. And we have a debt before God. We owe him our lives. Our lives belong to him. We are to live for his glory. We have not lived for his glory. Therefore, we have a debt in which we owe him a perfect life. We owe him a life of complete obedience. That's why if you give your life to God right now, today, and you never sin again, you still fall short because you've already sinned. You can't give him a perfect life, which he deserves. And so we have a debt. We owe God a perfect life of obedience. We haven't given it to him. We owe that to him. Jesus Christ paid the debt. He paid it all. Jesus Christ, who is sinless, who absolutely had no sin at all in his life, took our place. And when he did that, he paid our debt. And there's absolutely nothing left on the bill. That's why he said it's finished. It's done. Paid off. You know. Um, and so that, that's another picture of grace, that Jesus Christ has paid our debt. Now, and that comes from the marketplace. The third picture that he uses comes from the temple. And uh, we keep on reading verse 25. Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Um, that's uh, ESV. King James says propitiation. I think NIV says something like the atoning sacrifice or the sacrifice of forgiveness or something like that. This is a word that was used to refer to the atoning sacrifice on the Day of Atonement when the sacrifice was made for all the sins of the people. And to say that Jesus is our propitiation is to say that he paid the price. He, he, he became the sacrifice who shed his blood for us. In the Old Testament sacrifices, people were sinners. They knew they were sinners. Uh, they were told, well, if you b- bring a sacrifice, then you can, uh, can be forgiven. They knew that the blood of bulls and goats could not forgive them, but uh, they um, uh, uh, knew also that God had said, here's the picture, here's the imagery that, that you can use, and you will see this imagery of grace forgiving you by the sacrifice of, of, the, of the animal in your place, their blood for yours. But when Jesus died, he died once for all, his blood shed for us, and so our sins are forgiven by his sacrifice for us. That's basically the idea behind propitiation. Uh, It also has the idea that he took God's wrath for us. He took it uh, upon himself in our place, and so we are wrath-free, guilt-free. We're innocent. We are uh, forgiven because Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. So he he is our sacrifice. So in those three images, Paul says, look, if you look at the marketplace, Jesus redeemed us. He he paid the the debt. If you look at the courtroom, Jesus became our substitute. He took the guilty verdict upon himself. If you look at the temple, he is our sacrifice. He shed his blood for us. And that's what Jesus did for us. And that's the meaning of grace. If you want to summarize it, Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. Start to finish and everything in the middle, Jesus is the grace of God for us. And so as our our purpose in life is to magnify and glorify God, and particularly the glory of God's grace in Christ Jesus, that is uh, is a gift of God to us. Now, when, when you realize that, when you experience that in your life, it sort of transforms how you live, how you live. 
I mean, that's why so much is made about forgiveness in the New Testament. That's why Jesus was always talking about it. It's not like forgiveness came up one time and he said, oh, I never thought of that. Here, here's my opinion on forgiveness. Now let's go talk about other things. No, forgiveness was, was key. And why did he talk about people forgiving one another? For this reason, God in Christ has forgiven us. And when you're forgiven much, you must forgive others. When the grace of God comes into your life, you must be gracious to others. When you've known the unmerited love of God, we need to love others, especially when they don't merit it. In other words, everything about us must now reflect the grace of God in our lives as we live. And so we're all sinners, but God has redeemed us. He's saved us. He's uh, sacrificed, paid the price for us, uh, declared us not guilty. All that by his grace. How does that grace come into our lives? Uh, very quickly. It says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. To be received by faith. That means trusting the promises of God. Um, a lot of ways to illustrate that. Let me try this one. Uh, some of you have, have jobs where the boss walks in and puts an airplane ticket on your desk. He says, I want you to travel such and such a city. Uh, your reservation is made. I, I want you to take the, the plane flight. I want you to fly to the city, stay in the hotel, go to the conference. Now, here's what you do. When, that, when that's put on your desk, okay, I'm not going to talk about what you think and say, but, you know, what you don't do is you don't pick up that airline ticket and say, I wonder if this is valid. You, you don't call up the travel bureau and say, did he really give me this ticket? I mean, is he, is he just yanking me around a little bit? You don't call up the airline and say, do, do I really have a ticket? No, you trust the promise of the person who bought the ticket, put it on your desk, say, yeah. And so you go to the airline and you trust that they will honor it, which is not such a good idea anymore, but uh, it used to be. <laughs> but the point is, you've been given this ticket, you've been told that it will get you on the airplane to make the flight and travel to the other city, and you trust that that is true. You believe, you have faith that that is true, and so you reorder your life according to this promise. To have faith in Jesus Christ is to have your life radically reordered by the power of the Holy Spirit according to the promises of God, particularly his promise in Jesus Christ to save us and to forgive us and to bring us into heaven for all eternity. And that's what we mean when he says, you know, this grace of God, it is received through faith. It's not earned, it's not purchased, it's not, not something that we manufacture, we don't work our way up to it, it is simply given to us freely. And faith accepts the promise of God and reorients our lives in accordance with who he is. And that's why we live by grace. We live constantly by grace. And again, my, my, uh, my need is to have that grace more apparent to me. I'll, I'll do pretty well for about four or five minutes maybe, and, and then, you know, thinking about the grace of God, and then I get back into this old religion thing, or I get back into the works thing, or I get into the judgmentalism thing, and then God will do something that will, you know, remind me, no, it's by grace. And so my, my, uh, my challenge to you, my, my prayer for you is that this week you would especially be aware of the grace of God working in your life and aware of the times where that grace needs to come out of who you are and into the situation. Now, that's, that's a tough one. I like to give you these challenges every week, but this may be one of the toughest of all, is to exhibit the grace of God in how you live because God has been gracious to you. I know this is tough. 
because I preached this sermon at 8.30. And before 10 o'clock, Debbie and I were talking about how ungracious we were being towards a certain situation. It was particularly Debbie, but... <laughs> that wasn't very gracious, just <laughs> But here's the deal. That's how hard it is. Because you're going to run into somebody this week and nothing but grace is going to get you through it. You're going to have a situation and nothing but knowing that you're a child of grace and God's grace is sufficient for every situation is going to get you through it. But my challenge is that you would be a child of grace this week. And you know, if you don't know what we're talking about because this whole Jesus thing is foreign to you, what I really challenge you to do is, is, is find somebody who's a believer and talk to them. Come talk to us or, or, or uh, 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 you know, just research this thing. Because the grace of God is made real to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us and awakens us that we realize it's true, that we place our faith in him. And then we are children of grace and that grace works out in our lives. And so, saved by grace, live by grace, let grace flow through your lives all week long, okay? Let's bow in prayer together. Father, indeed, we are insufficient for these things. Father, indeed, we are not able to manufacture the kind of love and compassion and understanding that would enable us to be gracious. But, Father, you are able, and your Holy Spirit, more than sufficient to enable us to live responsibly and obediently in this coming week. And, and so, Father, I would pray that your Holy Spirit would take hold of us and awaken us, enlighten us, Father, use us that all that we say and all that we do in every venue and every relationship, Father, would make your grace known, that others would see how gracious and loving you are to give you the praise, you the honor, and you the glory. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.